It says, Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life. Remember the woman whose son that Elisha had restored to life? We'll look at that in a minute again. But notice, Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher, Rob Kellogg. In 2 Kings chapter 4, it describes Elisha's previous dealings with the Shunammite woman. She and her husband were godly, generous people who helped the prophet. Through Elisha's prayer, they were blessed with a son, who was also at one time miraculously brought back to life. On the advice of the prophet, the woman and her family left Israel because of a coming famine. In the land of the Philistines, they were spared the worst of the famine. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins chapter 8 in the book of 2 Kings. All right, let's open our Bibles. We're going to look at uh, 2 Kings chapter 8 this evening. And I would like to read to you just the first six verses. As you recall, we're in this portion of Second Kings where we're looking at the life and the ministry of Elisha. Elijah has already passed from the scene. Now his young protege is taking the um, mantle, if you will, and continuing on serving God and serving God's people. And a prophet's job is never an easy one because whenever a prophet shows up on the scene, usually it's not just to be a pep rally to encourage everybody. When a prophet shows up, usually there's warning involved. And and for Israel and Judah, these northern ten tribes and the southern two tribes of Judah and uh, or, or Benjamin and, and, and uh, Judah. Um, God was going to, he he brought prophets into their midst to warn them of impending judgment. Yes, impending judgment, because we know that the the northern ten tribes had fallen into idolatry from the very beginning. They, They started off that way, and they never recovered. They continued in their idolatry, in their worship of Baal, who was a false god of the Canaanites, and they continued worshiping Baal for several hundred years. They continue to worship, and and God, as he always does, he warns his people. In fact, he warned them in the very beginning before he brought them into the promised land in Deuteronomy. He warned them that if they were going to do these things, there were going to be consequences. And, And I love the fact that God tells us in advance what he's going to do before he does it. I mean, think about what he's given us already. He's already shown us the end. Think of what a privilege that is for you and I. 
God told them in advance, if you do this, this is what I'm going to do. And God was faithful to his word. And I like that because what God has shown us here at the end of history, we call it eschatology or the study of last things, and we are living in the last days. As we've looked through Revelation and we've seen the things that are yet in the future coming up on the horizon, it ought to encourage you, and I hope it does, because there are so many things in our world right now, folks, that are lining up very carefully, and it's, it's, it's very obvious to me. And that's why when we went through Revelation, I was practically vibrating most of the time I was up there because I was so excited. Excited because you can see the things happening. If you're a student of the Word of God and you understand what we were going through as we looked at Revelation 13 and the the beast and the false prophet and the mark of the beast, and then we looked at Revelation 17 and 18, this false religious system, this, this one world government that it speaks very clearly of, and also this one world economy that it spoke of yet in the future, and also this one world religion that it spoke of in the future. All those three things specifically are coming together like glue right now. Can you see it? The one world economy, folks, it is on the doorstep. I'm not saying, I believe through the scripture that the church is going to be removed before that great tribulation period occurs. But folks, those things are already starting to form And they're very clear. They're very clear. And that means that, what that tells me is that the return of Christ for the church is soon. I don't know how soon. I could never place a date and it would be foolish to do that. But I know, Jesus said, you'll know the seasons. And we're seeing these things come together. So we ought to be looking up because our redemption is drawing near. And if there is a time in your life, if you are on the fence about Christ, now is the time to no longer play any games to get on your face and get real and right with God today. Don't wait until tomorrow. Do it now because you don't have tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But God tells us in advance. And he told his people. And the northern ten tribes, they continued in idolatry. And interestingly enough, God sends prophets to them, and we're going to see uh, Elisha is one of them. In fact, he lives among them in that area in the northern ten tribes. And God is going to send him and to warn them and to try to release them of this Baalism, of this idolatry that they had gotten so entwined in. And, they, and God used this man. He used Elijah. He uses Elisha now to warn them of these things that are coming and to hopefully root it out. Because God, like, like, a, like a cancer in a body, does God want you to be, you know, um, he doesn't want you to be continually eaten away by sin. And cancer is very similar to that. It starts small. There's just a little spot. And then left unchecked, it begins to grow. And pretty soon, it's, it's taking over a certain part of your body. And then it's starting to metastasize and go to other parts of your body. And sin is like that. And God is very serious about sin. So he sends a prophet like Elijah to warn, hey, You need to turn from this because if you don't, this is what's going to happen. And God loves his people. And he loves you. 
He loves you very much. And be encouraged by that because it's not all doom and gloom, folks. As you look around, I want to encourage you with all the craziness that's going around this world. If you're focused on that darkness, and I know this firsthand because I have focused a little too much on the darkness around me, and it does me no good. It doesn't bring me into a closer relationship with Christ. All it does is depress me and cause me to begin to doubt. Focus on Jesus. Focus on him. And let your heart be raptured. Get Worship him again. Get all the cobwebs off and all the fog and just, I can see clearly now. Let that be your heart too. So Elisha, notice verse, chapter 8, verse 1. We'll just look at the first six verses initially. It says, Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life. Remember the woman whose son that Elisha had restored to life? We'll look at that in a minute again. But notice, Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household, because she was married as well, and they dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. And it came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, and she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. And then the king talked with Gehazi. Remember Gehazi, Elisha's servant? The king talked with Gehazi. He talked with Gehazi. I'm doing that on purpose. He talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. And now it happened, as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, that there was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman. This is her whom Elisha restored to life. This is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. And so the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now. Now, I don't know if you remember, but notice that the king, who we believe is King Joram, he was the king of the northern tribes, he's talking with Gehazi. Does that sound a little funny to you? I don't know if you remember, but look back a couple chapters at the end of chapter 5. Just thumb back a couple chapters. And I'm bringing this up for a reason. At the end of chapter 5, remember when Gehazi, when Naaman had come and was healed, Naaman the Syrian, the captain of the guard of the Syrian army, he had leprosy, so he comes to Elisha. Elisha heals him. Naaman, being so grateful and, and thankful for what God had done, he tries to offer 
Elisha a reward. Elisha, as a man of God, says, hey, I didn't, I didn't do this. God is the one who did it. I can't receive anything from you. And remember, Gehazi, as, as the entourage, uh, Naaman and his entourage, as they were leaving and going back to Syria, Gehazi catches up with them quickly and makes up a false tale that there's people coming and they need more money and stuff like this. And so Naaman is like, you know what? I was willing to give it all but you know take take you know a couple of bars of you know this and a couple bars of gold and silver and some changes of clothes and and elisha when as gehazi came back elisha knew that gehazi had gone after and received those things and he said is this a time for us to receive reward and as a result leprosy will cling to you for the rest of your life and to your your family And so he had leprosy from that day forward. Now, that happened at the end of chapter 5, didn't it? So now we're in chapter chapter 8, and we find out that Gehazi is talking with the king. Now, what happened here? Well, very simply this. Do you remember when we were going through the Gospels? We are going through the Gospels. You remember I had mentioned this book. Um, it's called A Harmony of the Gospels by A.T. Robertson. If you don't have a copy of this and you're uh, a Bible nerd like I am, um, I love this book because it puts all the Gospels in chronological order and it really helps, it enriches your, your time in the Gospels. It certainly does that. Well, many people have put their hand to this and have come up to similar conclusions as A.T. Robertson, but there was a gentleman uh, by the name of William Day Crockett who put together a book, and this is the only one that I know of. Um, it's, it's called A Harmony of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. And he attempts to do, and he does actually, he takes the first and second Samuel and first and second Kings and first and second Chronicles and he, he puts them in a chronological form. And you may um, have already seen tonight as we have been going through this that something chronologically is not right here because if the king, Joram, is talking personally with Gehazi, the king wouldn't be talking to him if he had leprosy. So this event, the bottom line is, prior to... Um, Uh, chapter 8 here, or or this event that we're looking at um, happened prior to what happened in 2 Kings 5 that we just read. Does that make sense? So these things, as we read them, especially in the life of Elisha right now, these things aren't going to be in a a specific order. As you read them, it's not going to be in chronological order. So that's the reason why, because it wouldn't make sense for a king to be speaking with a man who's loaded with leprosy. (laughs) He just wouldn't do it. And so, um, and prior to this, you might even want to make a note to this, before we actually dive into this, um, prior to this chapter, chapter 8, specifically verses 1 and 2, the entire events of 2 Kings chapter 4 took place. So if you really want to read this in a, in, a, in a way that will make sense to you, and I, and I think it will, especially if you look at chapter 4. Um, and in fact, the order of 2 Kings 4 is, uh, is uh, interesting as well, because as we read it in the Bible, the sections of it aren't in chronological order either. And I'd like to just give you that order right now so that you can go back and read chapter 4 in the right order and then come directly into chapter 8. Does that make sense? 
I don't want to make this tedious, but I think this will be helpful. So um, if you were to look at uh, 2 Kings chapter 4 and the first 17 verses, so verses 1 through 17, and then uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 38 through 44, and then finally 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 18 through 37, and then immediately after that, is where we come into chapter 8 right here. And remember, in 2 Kings chapter 4, 18 through 37, that very last section was where Elisha, remember, the woman and her husband had built a, uh, an upper room for Elisha as he was itinerating through Israel. Um, he stopped by their house a lot. And so she went to her husband as a woman, a family of means, evidently, and they decided to build this upper room for Elisha with a table and chairs and a bed and a lamp, and whenever he would come by, he would have a place to stay. It was a very kind gesture. Well, that, that, that's where that happened in chapter uh, 4, verse 18 through 37. And remember, in that same section of Scripture, the woman's son had fallen ill and died, and Elisha prayed for him and uh, healed him ultimately. And it was right on the heels of that, right on the heels of 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 18 through 37, speaking of this Shunammite woman whose son was raised from the grave. Immediately on the heels of this, we go right into chapter 8. And it makes total sense if you follow the chronology, because then what does it say? Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life. Follow me? And so it'll make a lot of sense if you read it in that order. So Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go in your household and stay wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine. And furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. So this Shunammite woman was from Shunem. It's a city in the uh, upper, in the northern part of, uh, just a little bit north of the central part of Israel. In fact, it's um, just southwest of the Sea of Galilee in uh, the Valley of Jezreel. This, this town called Shunem, and a woman being from Shunem was called a Shunammite. And so this was the path that Elisha would often travel. And so the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God. So Elisha gives this woman who has been very kind to him, her and her husband and her family, giving them a heads up on what God is about to do. And I think that's really sweet of him, and it shows the mercy of God too. And um, so the woman arose, did according to the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. Notice that God didn't instruct her where to go. He didn't tell her to go to the land of the Philistines, but that's where she went. And um, in verses 1 and 2, the Lord gives to Elisha, again, what is about to come to pass. And he gives this insider information, if you will, to this woman and her husband because they have been so kind and generous to him. And I like that. You know, God doesn't, um, he always remembers kindness and acts of kindness and love, doesn't he? He, he? he remembers those things. I believe that for every one of us, and the Bible tells us in, in Revelation that there's a book. And I believe all of our deeds are written in that book. And so, 
he tells her that there's going to be a a lean time, a famine for seven years. And, And this is not unusual, is it? For God to give to his servants an understanding of something yet future. It's called prophecy. And certainly we saw that in Genesis chapter 41. Remember when God spoke to Pharaoh in a dream. In in Genesis chapter 41 beginning in verse 14, God himself spoke to Pharaoh, this pagan Gentile, gave him a dream, two dreams in fact, and then Joseph comes and he interprets those dreams and, and Joseph tells Pharaoh, God has told you what he's about to do. There's going to be seven years of plenty, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And he tells them this. And ultimately, God gives this information to be glorified. God is going to be glorified in and through the life of Joseph. He's going to be glorified in the life through Pharaoh as well. But now God was going to do a similar thing, but instead of there being seven years of plenty before the seven years of famine, he's going to skip right to the seven years of famine. (laughs) And perhaps because of the sin of the people, because often God would get the attention of his people by bringing about famines or droughts. He does. God would do this when the people of Israel were engaging in idolatry. He would use the famine or the drought as a means to chasten his people. Yes, chasten, God chastens those whom he loves, doesn't he? But you've got to understand something, that when God chastens, with the chastening, there is a, uh, the idea of chastening is chastening with, with the idea of learning. There's a difference between being chastened by God and being judged by God. Chastening means he's causing some things to be uncomfortable for you to get your eyes on him and to cry out to him. A judgment, there's no crying out. It's just a pile of ash. (laughs) He judges, right? And we ought not to be surprised when God chastens us too, right? And, And nobody likes that. God has chastened me and he, I know that I've got more chastening in my future. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons? He says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he does what? He chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which we are all become partakers, then you are ill illegitimate and not sons furthermore we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live for they speaking of our fathers indeed for a few days they chastened us as seemed best to them but he for our prophet that we may be partakers of what his holiness now no chastening Seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Can anybody relate to that? Anybody been chastened by the Lord? <laughs> I've been chastened by the Lord, and he, I know he loves me because he does. If God never chastened me, I'd be really nervous. I mean, unless you're a really good person, maybe you haven't been chastened, but I, I'm not a good person. <laughs> I wasn't a good person even before I came to Christ. Scoundrel, actually. And God chastened me, especially as a believer, he's chasing me. 
Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, what does it do? It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Notice, have been trained by it. Do you see what it's for now? It's to be trained. That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.